0: scripture this reading will be from the book of Ezra, chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. Ezra 4, 1 through 5. Now when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the returned exiles were building a temple to the Lord, the God of Israel, they, they re- approached Babel and the he- heads of fathers' houses and said to them, let us build with you, for we worship your God as you do. And we have sacrificed to him ever since the days of Ezra Haddon, king of Assyria, who brought us here. But Zebra Babel, Jezreel, and the rest of the heads of fathers' houses in Israel said to them, You have nothing to do with us in building a house to our God. For we alone have built the, to the Lord the God of Israel, And King Cyrus, the king of Persia, has commanded us. Then the people of the land discouraged the people of Judah and made them afraid to build and bribe counselors against them to frustrate their purpose. All the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. You may be seated. We're happy to have everyone with us today, and especially Brother Scott Richards, who's with us, and talking to us about the great work that he's involved in in India. We had a wonderful discussion about that this morning in our auditorium Bible class, and we look forward to hearing Scott preach and teach the Word of God to us in our worship service. So without taking any more time from him, all I simply say to Scott is, Scott, teach us God's Word.
1: Once again, I'm very grateful to be able to be with you. It's been about a year and a half, maybe two years, about since I was here last. But I am grateful for this congregation, for your love for the truth, for your desire to see the gospel spread throughout the world, and not just in our own country. And I know that you have a zeal for the gospel because of the support and the encouragement that you give me in the work that we're doing together in India. And I want us to be reminded that we are working together. Not everyone can go. There have to be people who can send as well. And so I'm grateful for your support and your encouragement in the work that we're doing in India. I want us to talk for a few moments this morning about the need to rise up and build God's temple I want us to talk about that and give his background here. Ezra chapter 4 verse 1 through verse 5. As you know, the Jews returned to Jerusalem under Ezra, Zerubbabel, and Nehemiah. And when they came back, they began to build the temple. They started to rebuild the temple. When they started to rebuild the temple, then those people that had been settled in the land by the Assyrian king, Esarhaddon, came to them. They were opposed to them, and they came to them and asked to be able to help build. Now, you will notice that they say they worship the same God. And if you study the history, when Israel, the northern kingdom, was taken into captivity it was common for the kings and those who were the conquerors to take people away from their native place and resettle them in another area. And at the same time, to bring foreigners into the area that they had sent them from. In other words, other people that they had conquered in, a, in another area or another place, another region. And that's what they did. And so you have these people... Who were settled there and they wanted to worship the god of that place and they, so they sent back to Esarhaddon and they got him to send priests from Israel. Now again if you go back and study your history of Israel you will note that when the kingdom divided that there were priests that were appointed not because they were from the tribe of Levi or because they were the descendants of Aaron. But when the calves, the uh, uh, idols were set up at Dan and Bethel, there were priests that were appointed not because they were supposed to be priests, but just because they came and they maybe paid some money to the king. And so he made them priests. So they had corrupt priests. So you have corrupt priests coming and teaching corrupt people a corrupt form of Judaism. Or of the law of Moses. And so those are the people that are here in the land. When Ezra brings back these former captives from Babylon. And they begin to rebuild the temple. These are the people that come and say, we want to help you build. We want to help you build the temple. We worship the same God. But they worshiped in a corrupt way. You will remember in John chapter 4, the woman at the well talking to Jesus said our fathers we should say we should worship at this mountain the jews say that you should worship in jerusalem and then of course jesus tells them that god is a spirit god tells her god is a spirit and those that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth and so you get an idea of some of the history of how these people came to be and they were opposed to these jews now rebuilding the temple under zerubbabel and so when they come and they ask to help Zerubbabel makes a very strong point. He said in verse 3, You may do nothing with us to build a house for our God, but we alone will build to the Lord God of Israel as King Cyrus the king of Persia has commanded us. In other words, they're saying the ones who should build God's house are God's true people. God's true people. At the end of 2015, the Mormons had up to approximately, estimated approximately, 75,000 missionaries around the world. 75,000. I don't think we have 300. Who are to build God's temple today? Those who have a corrupt form of Christianity, or some cultic form of Christianity. Or those who are God's true people. Christians. Those who have obeyed the gospel as it's laid out, as it's set forth in the New Testament. You see here we have a situation in the Old Testament where Zerubbabel said... We, that is God's people, are the ones who are to build God's temple. Today, the temple of God is not a physical building. We need places to meet. And a building is convenient and expedient for us to have a place to meet in order to worship and have Bible study and to do the work of the church. But the church itself, the temple of our Lord today, is not a physical building. Instead, 1 Peter chapter 2 reveals to us that we are the living stones that make up the temple. That is, those of us who have obeyed the gospel and become Christians, we are the living stones that make up the temple today. And so, as we think about what Ezra's response was to these who opposed, really, the true worshipers of God, that is, the Jews, we need to think about some lessons that we can draw from that example. We, that is, God's people today, Christians, are the ones who are to build the temple. And as we build the temple of God, that is, the church, we're going to face opposition. You will note in this reading, in verse 4 and verse 5, that after they refused their assistance that these people then began to do everything they could to discourage them, to hire counselors to discourage them. They opposed them in every way they possibly could in order to try, try to thwart their efforts to build the temple. Well, we're going to face opposition as well, but we must continue to build as God's people. We cannot be discouraged in the work. The work sometimes can become discouraging if we allow it, but we can allow ourselves to be discouraged or downhearted or downtrodden. And furthermore, we cannot compromise in order to get along. Notice Zerubbabel, Jeshua, those Jews did not compromise with these people to get along with them. Rather, instead, they stood for what was right. And so as we work together to build the spiritual temple, God's house today, the church, we need to be prepared, we must not be discouraged, and we must all be workers to build the temple. Can you imagine, uh, keeping in mind what I told you a moment ago about the Mormons and their zeal, could you imagine if every congregation of the Lord's Church in the United States were to send out two men, two men, there would be about eighteen to 20,000 more men on the field than there are today. We need to think about how much we're doing, how much more we can do in preaching and teaching the gospel and building the temple, building the kingdom of our Lord. Let us begin by pointing out that it is only the people of God who can build the temple of God just as it was in the day of Ezra in the day of Nehemiah in the day of Zerubbabel so it is today only the people of God can build the temple of God others cannot build the temple of God God's people today of course are Christians we are the royal priesthood as Peter points out in second Peter or first Peter chapter 2 and verse 4 through verse 10 And Christians are commanded. We are commanded. We have the greatest story. We have the greatest news. The gospel. And we are commanded to take that gospel to the lost. To go and preach the gospel to every creature. According to Mark chapter 16 and verse 15. To go and teach it to every nation. Matthew 28 and verse 19. We have the greatest gospel, the greatest news, the news of God's grace and mercy made available to every man and every woman on the face of the earth. That grace and mercy being available through the blood of Jesus Christ who died on the cross. And Are we taking it as zealously as we should or as we could? Christians must work To take the gospel. That is our call. That is our commission. To take the gospel to the lost. And we are are commanded to be ready to give an answer. 1 Peter 3 and verse 15. We are commanded to be ready. Are we ready? I talked a little while ago during the uh, Bible class hour about the memorization. We have our students memorize three verses every day. Three verses a day. And we have them write them the next day. So on Monday morning, they're given three verses they have to memorize. And they're given three on Tuesday morning, and Wednesday morning, and Thursday morning, and Friday morning. Then they have to write those on Monday. But we don't make them write just three verses. We have them write three verses on Tuesday morning, but then they have to write six on Wednesday, nine on Thursday, 12 on Friday, and 15 on Monday again. In other words, it's a cumulative thing. How do you think that they can get to where they have 1,800 verses in their mind? When I was going to school at Harding, and we had memory work, 30 minutes before class I was memorizing, and 30 minutes after class I forgot. it. Make them do it every day for a week. And those they learned early in the week and they've written five times, they're there. They're not going anywhere. And they're going to be reminded of them several times over the course of a two-year study. And so they're not going to forget what they've learned. And that's what we do. So he says, be ready in First Peter chapter 3 and verse 15. Are we ready? Are we ready? In our Bible classes, in the church. Do we have our young people memorizing and writing? Do we have our adults memorizing and writing? I'll be honest. I don't recall ever having that in an adult Bible class, especially in auditorium class. I'm not indicting auditorium class people. Just don't take, don't take it personally. But I'm just making a point here. We need to put the Word of God in our minds and in our hearts so that we can communicate it to these people out here who are lost and need it. They need to know the good news as well as we do. And so we are to be ready and we are to be teachers of the gospel. You will recall that the Hebrew Christians had failed to become teachers. In Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 12 and going through chapter 6, we, in verse 8, you find this discussion of the Hebrew Christians and how that they had for the time, when for the time they ought to have been teachers, they had need that one teach them again the first principles of the oracles of God. Why? Because they had not kept it in their minds and in their hearts. And so they had to be taught all over again the first principles. And that's a sad reality. Is that the case with us? Do we have to be taught over and over and over and over again? We cannot learn to build the kingdom. We can't be a builder if we don't know our trade. If somebody asked me to lay bricks, it wouldn't look very pretty. I am not comfortable laying brick. In fact, I don't think I've ever laid a brick in my life. And I don't think at this age I'm going to start if I can keep from it. I can do a little carpentry work. But even then, you wouldn't want me to build you a house. Because it's not going to be as good as it could be. Because I'm not a skilled tradesman at those things. But you know, I am to be a builder in the kingdom. And every Christian is to be a builder in the kingdom. And so we all need to do our best to become capable... Builders, capable craftsmen with the word of God, able to handle it properly. Christians in Jerusalem learned. Think about it. In Acts chapter 8, after Stephen was stoned and Saul of Tarsus was wreaking havoc with the early church, what happened to those people? They were scattered. When they scattered, did they go, well, there's no congregation of the Church of Christ in this town. I guess I'll go back to worshiping in the synagogue. Or I'll just stop altogether. No, they went everywhere preaching the word. They went everywhere because they had sat at the feet of the apostles. They had heard the gospel. They had put it into their hearts and minds. And they were capable then to share it with others and build the church. And so Satan's efforts... To stamp out the gospel, the church, in its infancy in Jerusalem through the persecution of Saul and the Jewish leaders only served to help expedite its spread. Because those people who had learned and were capable builders then went out and started to build the church wherever they went, they took the gospel. Whoever would listen, whoever would obey. And so they learned. The church in Thessalonica. Think about the church in Thessalonica. It sounded out not only to the people in Thessalonica, but also throughout all Achaia. And even to the uttermost parts of the world. It was going out from the church in Thessalonica. Their faith was known throughout the kingdom. These people learned. And they communicated and they were faithful. Timothy was told the things that you have heard of me or from me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who will be able to teach others also, Second Timothy two and verse two. And then he says that we are to endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Soldiers have to endure a lot of hardships. And as Christians, we need to be ready to endure hardships. As I pointed out earlier in 2 2 Timothy 3 and verse 12, all who will live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And so those are hardships, and we're going to have to endure those hardships. Timothy was told to train others so that they could teach others, so that the church could be built. And we are to rise up and build... The church, build the kingdom, build the temple. That's our responsibility. And we cannot be discouraged in this work, in our efforts. Sometimes it may seem, and I suspect in our time, it sometimes can be a little discouraging. You know, I can remember when I was just a young boy, And my parents first obeyed the gospel in Phoenix, Arizona. And uh, I can remember every Sunday, every Sunday, oh, every Sunday, we'd get up, sing the invitation song, there'd be one or two or three people come forward. Every Sunday. There wasn't hardly a week went by in which there wasn't a baptism. And those Jewel Miller film strips that were in the media room, There were six or eight different sets of them. Sometimes you had to wait to get a set. What's happened? We can say, well, the culture has changed. There's been a change in the attitude, yes. But we also need to look at ourselves. Have we lost some of our zeal to be the builders we need to be? To do the work that we need to be doing and to teach those that we can teach whenever we have an opportunity. Are we looking for opportunities? You know when people go through crises in their lives it's an opportunity to talk to them about the Gospel. It's an opportunity to perhaps teach them about the love of God and the foundation that they can have for their lives in Jesus Christ. And the hope of salvation that he gives. We cannot grow discouraged. We cannot grow weary in well-doing. Just as Paul said to the Galatians. In Galatians chapter 6 verse 6 through verse 10. We cannot grow discouraged just like the Apostle Paul. You know if anybody could grow discouraged. When you read Second Corinthians chapter 11 and everything he endured. You sometimes think how could he keep going on? He could keep going on because he would not grow weary. And he considered himself a debtor, he says in Romans chapter 1, a debtor to all men to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then later he could tell the elders at Ephesus in Acts chapter 20 that he was free from the blood of all men. Why? Because he had not failed to teach and to preach the whole counsel of God. Wherever he went, he would teach and preach the counsel of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so while we face similar opposition, you know, they had paganism they had to face. In this country, paganism is on the rise. In Clayton County, where I lived for 21, 22 years, In uh, the south part of the city of Atlanta, there's a huge Hindu temple. You can go over to Henry County, and there's a Buddhist temple. We know all of these groups are growing. And we have an attitude in the world that has become prevalent that says, well, all religions are equal. All religions are not equal. Because Jesus said, ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man shall come to the Father but by being. John 14 and verse 6. We know there is only one way, and it's in Jesus Christ that we can go to heaven, that we can be with the Father and with the Son who died for us eternally. We cannot grow discouraged in the face of all of the opposition, just like Ezra, Zerubbabel, Nehemiah, and the Jewish people who returned to Jerusalem could not grow discouraged. They had to rebuild the temple, and in uh, Nehemiah's day, they had to rebuild the walls of the city. In spite of all the opposition, they had to be ready for that opposition. And they continued to do what was their responsibility to do. So we cannot grow discouraged. Neither can we compromise. It can be tempting to think, well, I want to get along with everybody. I want to get along with all these people. And you know, we have the same belief that Jesus is the Christ, the Savior, and so... A lot of the denominational people, they're, they're nice folks. They can be pleasant. But they oppose the truth of the gospel. The truth of the gospel. Heard from somebody recently about a situation in a jail where there were a couple of denominations, young, a couple of uh, men and his wife, Who'd come in and they'd do a Bible study. And they came in and they said one day after the Bible study. Now does anybody want to be baptized? We have some water here. And they had a little container of water. They're going to sprinkle them you know. And that's what they call baptism. That's not what baptism is. We can read in the New Testament. And see the examples of conversion. We know it's described in Colossians 2 and verse 12. In Romans chapter 6 verse 3 and verse 4. Not as a sprinkling, but as a burial. And we know what a burial is. Everybody knows what it means to be buried. You can go to the graveyard and see what it means to be buried. I don't see any arms or legs or any other part of the body sticking out. It's all totally under the ground. We know what a burial is. And so we understand that baptism in the New Testament is to immerse. That's what the original word in the Greek means, to immerse, to submerge. And so we know that in order for one to be in Christ, he has to believe in him, repent of sins, confess him as Lord, and be baptized into Christ, immersed in water, as Peter said in Acts chapter 2, and verse 38, for the forgiveness of sins. And it isn't until then that one is a Christian, And only after coming up from that watery grave of baptism is one a brother or sister in Christ. And we know that because that's what the scriptures teach. And there are a lot of people that believe Jesus is the son of God, but they're not going to teach that. They're not going to teach that. Because so many people don't want to hear that. They don't want to hear it. They don't want to do it. And so they don't want to teach it because they don't want to turn people off from what they're saying, but we cannot compromise in any way. Among the seven churches of Asia, there were some that were uh, compromising churches. Pergamos was a compromising church. They had there those who held to the doctrine of the Nicolaitans and also to the doctrine of Balaam. God told them, Jesus told them, that they needed to repent of that compromise. That they needed to repent in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 14 through verse 16. We cannot compromise, or else we will be removed as one of God's candlesticks, as one of his kingdom, as one of his congregations of his people. We are told not to compromise. Instead, we're told to hold fast to the pattern of sound words, 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 13. And so we have to hold fast to the gospel. We cannot compromise on anything just to get along, even though it may seem tempting at times. At least for some. We need to stand firm for what is right, what is true, And what is biblical. You know, we in the church are the builders. Christians are the builders of the temple. It's not those who are not a part of the body. Jesus adds us to the body when we are saved. The Lord added to the church daily. Those who were being saved, Acts 2 and verse 47. If we're not a part of the body, then we can't be a part of those who are building the body. Are you a part of that body this morning? Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ? Are you ready to confess him as Lord, to be baptized into Christ, repent of your sins, turn from sin to serve him? If you are, you can do that this morning. You can become a Christian, just a Christian, not a hyphenated Christian. You know, anymore, historically in our culture, a woman would take her husband's name, but now you know you got hyphenated names. And I often wonder how many times you're going to hyphenate. If you've got a man with a hyphenated last name and a woman with a hyphenated last name, and they want to hyphenate, how many generations is that going to keep going on? Pretty soon it's going to take our children two pages just to write their name. It gets to be a little ridiculous. We're dividing the body if we do those types of things. Jesus said he would build his church, one church. It is the church that was established on the day of Pentecost, and you can be a part of that church. Jesus will add you to his kingdom. You'll be one of his living stones. As Peter says, as Peter describes us in 1 Peter chapter 2, and verse 60, verse 10, if you want to be a part of the body of Christ, you want to be baptized into Christ, we'll, urge, we'll assist you, we'll baptize you this morning. If you need to ask for the prayers of the church because of sin in your life, you need to be rededicated, then I urge you to do that this morning. I want